This is Steve Matter, CEO and Principal of MW Group and Principal Broker of MW Commercial Realty, Inc. Can you tell us why people should listen to this show? I'm sure that there's some takeaways. What a lot of the takeaways will probably be is that people that have been successful in business are experiencing the same things you're experiencing now. And, and somehow, if that helps you get through it, I think it's worth it. The other thing is, technically, there's probably tools that you can pick up from a show like this and also other resources. So I think it's a worthwhile venture. Greater Good Radio. I use it as a rule of thumb that I'm trying to get about five times my money in three years or ten times my money in five years. Hi, we can design your home in one minute or less. Inspire. If you are doing your passion on a daily basis, then you're never going to have to work a day in your life. Greater Good Radio, brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Here's the Royal Banking. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where we develop tomorrow's leaders by bringing you up close and personal with today's top business people. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Today's show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely loyal banking. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is John Dean, Managing General Partner of Startup Capital Ventures, a private equity fund that focuses on early stage companies and Managing Director of Tuputele Ventures. John is also the former CEO of Silicon Valley Bank and the founder of the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Hawaii. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, John Dean. Welcome to our show, John. Pleased to be here, Carrie, and look forward to it. Great. So could you tell us, as an independent advisor to several high-technology companies, startup companies, can you tell us, in your words, what do you do? Um, if there was a quick phrase, it would be listen, listen, and then listen. So as I, uh, we talked earlier on the program here, um, I've been involved with several companies and hopefully have some experience from that. And uh, what I've learned, learned uh, works best for CEOs and startups is to get them talking and then start questioning them. So they're coming to you with their ideas and wanting to expand to bigger things? They come with their ideas and uh, wanting to expand. But in addition, oftentimes I'm in, uh, I get involved with a company that's already up and running, uh, a CEO that's got a product and might even have uh, the product out with clients and revenues and ramping. And now he or she is trying to determine how do you build a company and what are the questions or issues or concerns that CEO should have. And that's where I most often get involved and try to contribute. Are you guys coming in as angel investors or, or as the venture capitalists? I mean, angels with the smaller amounts of, of uh, investment versus, you know, $10 million and up. After stepping down uh, from Silicon Valley Bank as CEO, I did oh, about uh, two and a half, three and a half years of angel investing and um, did well with that. It was successful. And more recently, over the last, oh, I'd say six, nine months, um, uh, put together and we closed on a very small venture uh, fund, uh, $25 million in size. So we've kind of evolved from angel investors to what I would call small uh, venture investors, small dollar amounts. 
So the market opportunity that we see, myself and my partners, would be described as typically a, a non-capital intensive business. More frequently, it'd be in the software space. A company that has a product revenue, some clients in ramp, that is looking for a first round of uh, outside financing and needing a half a million to a million, maybe a million and a half dollars. And us looking to get involved with that company with that first investment, hopefully getting close to cash flow break even. And then based upon that, another round to ramp the company. So that's very basic, but that's the kind of the model we're involved with today in Hawaii, uh, in Silicon Valley and then in a few other locations. So what are you seeing different between the entrepreneurs coming to you in Hawaii and the entrepreneurs coming to you in Silicon Valley? How do I win with that question? (laughs) The uh, difference, I think that there aren't, uh, there's more similarities than differences. Um, If there are differences, uh, the differences for the uh, entrepreneurs in Hawaii, there are fewer of them. And being fewer uh, impacts them in the sense of resources. So if we compared, and it's unfair to do so, but I'll, I will anyway, compare the, the valley, Silicon Valley, to uh, Hawaii, um, uh, an entrepreneur here is going to struggle more because they, they don't have it's, – it's changed dramatically and improved, I think, uh, significantly over the last year, three years, five years. But the resource base, uh, the service providers – the experienced uh, technologists who have built companies and retired here, uh, that pool, that number of resources is limited. So I think that's probably a major difference for an entrepreneur here. It doesn't mean you shouldn't start a company here. It's just you've got to recognize that. And to the extent you can leverage off the valley, and that's one of the things we like to say to entrepreneurs here, that not only will we invest in you, it's not just capital will get involved. Uh, We've got great operating experience. But also we've got the resources, the valley, I think, that we can bring to some of the portfolio companies that we have here in Hawaii. What do you think Hawaii could do to increase the resources, bring these resources here to Hawaii to build our technology industry? Yeah. Boy, another tough one, uh, Gary. Uh, what's the Chinese uh, proverb, I think, the longest journey begins with the first step. Um, I don't think there's a thing or two that you can do. I think there's lots of things that you need to do, and I think a lot of things are being done. Uh, to the extent that the community can come together, uh, academia, the University of Hawaii, uh, the business community, um, and then the service providers within that business community, then I think that's a first step forward. And I think through Highbeam and through other organizations, the enterprise, I think, Honolulu, that there's been a, a good steps taken in terms of trying to build that critical base that you need. Where Hawaii is, ultimately, they're going to have to focus. They can't be all things in all segments. And I think you've seen that uh, in an evolution that's taken place, not as much planned as occurring. Life sciences, um, with Ed Cadman, uh, I think, and uh, great support from the government and others. Ed was, as you know, head of the uh, medical school until he stepped down for health reasons. But uh, with the building of a new university in Kaka'ako, uh, with a research lab there, with companies uh, such as Hawaii Biotech here, companies such as, uh, I'm thinking of Ohana, uh, uh, Patrick Sullivan's company, I think there's a good start. And I think in the software space, you'll see a, a good start. 
You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is John Dean of Startup Capital Ventures, Tuputile Ventures, and the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Hawaii. Our show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Firstly, Lowell Banking. John, uh, I recently went to a, a lecture and the speaker was saying that if you can make it in Silicon Valley, you should go. And in order to make it big, you need to leave Hawaii. And one of the uh, students sitting behind me was at the university said, you know, I want to be in Hawaii. I, I want to make it here in Hawaii. What suggestion do you have? And the suggestion was you should leave. <laughs> What's your perspective on that? Mm-hmm. Because there are companies here that do extremely well and entrepreneurs that do extremely well. So what's your perspective on that? The answer is uh, yes and no. Yes, you should leave and no, you should stay. Uh, yes, the uh, probabilities today are greater, I believe, for being successful in Silicon Valley. Uh, greater probability there than being in Los Angeles. Greater probability there than being in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and greater than being in Hawaii. Um, but having said that, doesn't mean that there aren't wonderful opportunities here. And uh, one of the, I think, opportunities in Hawaii that you won't get in the Valley is that this is a much smaller, uh, nascent community. And by that, I think there's much more focus and support for startup companies uh, in Hawaii than you would ever find in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, there is little to no support, and um, and it's just a very, very different world. So I think there's uh, probably, again, probability is probably higher for success because the resource base is so much wider and deeper. But I think there's some advantages here, and I think they're just going to get stronger and better uh, over time. So what advice would you give Hawaii entrepreneurs looking to make it and still live in Hawaii? Meet with the entrepreneurs that are already here and that have been successful. Um, Dustin, Dustin Shindo, Hoku, uh, a, a public company, a wonderful success. And, you know, how did he do it? Um, Siskide, uh, here in Hawaii, just did another round of financing, and that financing was led by a venture firm in Silicon Valley. How did he do it? And I just think if you spend some time with the entrepreneurs, I think Hybrid Beam's an excellent uh, reference base and visit and ask the questions that you're asking, I think you'll come up with uh, how all of them did it. Different paths, but a lot of similar steps to those uh, journeys that they've taken so far. So, Carrie, he's saying, listen to Greater Good Radio. (laughs) (laughs) And absolutely that. (laughs) So in the 1990s, you were a CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, and you've also been um, involved in several other banks. Could you tell us, you know, for Silicon Valley Bank, you grew the company from hundreds to thousands. How, how did you grow your employees to such a big team and some of the lessons that you've learned being involved in these different yeah. ventures? As we chatted earlier, I've had the opportunity, uh, good fortune, challenge of uh, being CEO of uh, five institutions, mostly in the financial services space. A Silicon Valley, uh, how do we do it? You need a little bit of luck. Uh, you need a great team. And you need to be able to bring that team together uh, successfully. And we did it. We grew the bank from about a $60 million market cap to $3 billion in a seven-year period. So it was a wonderful run for all of us uh, as an organization. And drove a lot of that through sharing a couple things that we did there that I thought worked very, very well. Uh, one was that we made all, not made, but worked hard to have all of our employees think of themselves 
as shareholders, uh, not as employees. And I can't tell you how important that is when a employee is out in the marketplace thinking of himself, herself as a shareholder. So we shared not among the top five or ten, but probably the top thirty or forty percent in the bank a stock option plan, a stock grant plan, and then in addition, every employee uh, based upon earnings uh, was able to participate in an ESOP, uh, Employee Stock Ownership Program, and we, uh, I think that was fifteen percent of, of their base salaries, and that was the maximum we were allowed by the government. So, um, and as long as our earnings were above uh, a cost of capital, which we defined as 12%, so first our shareholders had to win, and then to the extent we um, performed above that hurdle, uh, the all the employees did very, very well. And it was great to say because uh, my admin assistant um, is an example, but many others, non-officers, contri- uh, you know, uh, created wealth for themselves and their families in the quarter million, half million dollars and more range. So that's one, thinking, uh, having your employees thinking of themselves as shareholders. Uh, equally important is the thinking of all your employees, not just the top management team. And uh, putting the employees uh, over the management team at times is critical. What I learned with all companies, uh, an interesting one is, and I've, uh, I've read very few business books, but uh, one I have read, and more than once, is Built to Last. And Built to Last is uh, a study by two professors. In fact, one of them just has a new book out, on, uh, I think, on social entrepreneurship. Collins, and I'm trying to think of the other author, and maybe you've got that. Uh, you I only know, know Good to Great by Jim Collins. Well, that is the, that's their sec- his second book. So Jim Collins was co-author of uh, Built to Last, Good to Great was his second book, a book after that, and he has another book just out that's been reviewed in Business Week a week or two ago that I'd recommend to you. I haven't read it, but it, the reviews are very good. But, but important in his book, and it's, you know, and this is a show, you could, we could spend a whole show just on this. Um, what they did is they, they, they did research. This was a two, three years of research at Academia, which was what makes for a great or an extraordinary company. And not over a three, five, ten, fifteen-year period, but the average age of the companies they came up with were almost a hundred years average. And how did they continually, over that period, outperform the overall stock market? Not by twenty or forty percent, but by ten oh, x or twenty x. So these truly were great companies. And as you drill down, and again, there's several points, and it's a book. But one thing that I'd, I'd leave with with both of you, but also the audience, is the commitment to employees, uh, respect for employees, integrity, but also not all, but most of the companies had a commitment uh, to the community. And almost all of the companies never focused on profits. Interesting, huh? Profits wasn't their driver. It was almost as if if we did everything else right, profits would follow. So in all the companies that I've had, I've had a very strong commitment uh, to community. And uh, hopefully, while you have to earn money, if you do everything else right for your employees, for your clients, typically profits flow after that. Thanks, John. We'll talk more about that after the break. Stay tuned for more on Sports Radio 1420. 
This is Ken Wei Chong, partner of E&O Trading Company. You're listening to Carrie and Evan on Greater Good Radio Hawaii. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. What does coaching have to do with running a business? Welcome to the Money Minute from Central Pacific Bank. Today we're talking with Sherry Lee, commercial banker. Whenever we hear the word coach, we usually think of the folks who teach our kids soccer or baseball or some other sport. But coaches aren't just for kids. There are business coaches out there who can help you guide your company. Like a soccer coach providing motivation to a team... A good business coach can energize you with new ideas and new growth strategies. That includes analyzing industry trends and developing your network of contacts. Most importantly, a business coach can provide you with an objective outside opinion, free from the emotions that come with being an owner. Just like in sports, good coaching may be just what you need for your business to win consistently. Today's Money Minute is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, where you'll always find bankers that are fiercely loyal to you. Central Pacific Bank, member FDIC. This is Gail Jennings from HawaiiDiner.com and EverybodyEats.org. I read selectively all of the papers, but I tend to read more of the columns at Star Bulletin. A lot of it is I like Erica Engel. I like her column, The Buzz. I get good information from that. I like their coverage of the different issues. I like the Star Bulletin. Would you recommend other people to read Star Bulletin? Absolutely. I think we need to be as informed as possible. Star Bulletin. This is Jim Tollefson, President and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii. I definitely would recommend the Chamber of Commerce to others. The benefits are that you get to meet other businesses, get to work together with other businesses, and help you improve your business to make more money to be successful. If you're not a member already, you can give me a call, 545-4300, extension 388. I invite you to join us in creating a better Hawaii, a Hawaii that's better for us, for our children, and for the future. We're back with John Dean of Startup Capital Ventures, Tuputile Ventures, and the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Hawaii. So, John, before break, you were telling us about how it's so important to just focus on the social mission, not necessarily just on profits. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who are starting their careers or, you know, maybe five years into their career, they do want to get involved in the community, but they think that they need to separate the two? Mm-hmm. What do you think about... Ha- Integrating both of them together. Yeah. In all the companies that um, I was involved as CEO, I always integrated the two. I think great companies come from not an individual, but uh, greatness over time comes from a team. And to build a team, 
one path to doing that and doing it well is getting that team and all your employees uh, committed to giving back into the community. And I could give you example after example of the different companies that I was involved where we were very much committed to the community, not me driving it, but the organization coming up with what they wanted to sponsor or support. And it was an effective way of giving back, bringing us together and getting us stronger and trusting each other as we work together to to hopefully be successful in the marketplace. Are you able to give us an example of a story of a company that you worked with and a specific um, activity that you did that was really team building and also made an impact on the community? Sure. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, First Interstate, Oklahoma. Uh, This would be back in uh, late 1980s. Uh, That bank uh, was, at the time, I think the second largest bank failure in the history of banking. And uh, the organization I was with, First Interstate, bought certain assets and liabilities, and I was sent out to turn it around. Uh, Just to give you an idea, the time I arrived, uh, it cost us $1.15 to make a dollar of revenue. So it gives you an idea that we we were hemorrhaging. um, All the employees had lost uh, their life savings in their pension plans, which were tied to the bank stock that went under. So uh, employees were demoralized. There'd been layoffs. There'd been demotions. Um, People just had basically given up on everything. So mine was, how do you bring them back together? How do you get committed? And I got a group together and said, we need to, um, we need to get focused. We need to get trust within this organization. And we need to think about giving back to the community that's also struggling. Um, the f- a person who led that was Bob Huffman. Bob Huffman was a great guy, uh, one of the leaders of the bank, a hard worker, loved by all. And it, I have to go quick here on this story, but bottom line, he, uh, six months after I got there, he got uh, uh, diagnosed with uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. So, and this is a terrible disease that in a two-year period, he would first lose his ability to walk, his ability then to talk, and eventually to take his life. But he led the, um, we kind of adopted him, and he kind of became our commitment to the community among uh, Housing for Abused Women, United Way, uh, Habitat for Humanity. So these were all things we did together. But Bob was sort of our person, and we promoted him to the new branch, the Waterford branch. We built it out to make it handicapped. Um, he was the only bank officer in the United States that I knew for his company car. He had a van with an automatic lift for his wheelchair to get him into it. And it's amazing how the bank came together around him, how the community noticed what we were doing. So in a three-year time period, we went from the second largest bank failure to the most profitable bank in the state of Oklahoma. That doesn't. Ju- that happens, I think, in part because you focus on the community giving back and getting your employees to trust one another and work together. So that'd be my example for you, Gary. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is John Dean. While John is an advisor for various venture capital firms in the U.S. and overseas, he makes time to give back to the community through nonprofits such as Entrepreneur Foundations of Hawaii and Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Our show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely, low banking. John, you know, the Entrepreneurs Foundation, could you tell us a little bit more about that and your involvement, please? Oh, no, I'd very much like to. 
The Entrepreneur's Foundation is a, a foundation that I'm involved with in Hawaii and with others. And the, the thought there and the reason for uh, creating this organization is to work with the startup companies uh, in, in Hawaii, uh, technology, life science, but other companies that are um, building a company and looking eventually for what we call a liquidity event, and that would be to sell eventually uh, to a third party or to go IPO, uh, public offering, initial public offering. And what we ask of these uh, companies is to donate some of their stock, a small amount of their stock, uh, to the Entrepreneurs Foundation. And in return, uh, through our executive director, Leanne Miyasato, is that we work with them to help get their employees involved in the community. And if you think about that and what I've said earlier in the program, we think that getting the employees involved in the community is going to build a greater tra- team and going to help them in being great companies. Um, at the liquidity event, let's assume it's a sale or an IPO, we're hoping that that initial grant of stock that we got uh, is up in value, let's say 5x. So if the grant's $50,000, and again, this isn't cash, this is a um, non-cash item, although there is dilution, but $50,000 worth of stock, let's say it's a 5x uh, worth $250,000. What we do then is uh, we, well, the company, first of all, gets a full tax deduction for cash now of 250000 And that's IRS allowed, and it's a gross-up uh, of the initial investment. Second is we give half of that $250,000 back to the company in the form of a 501c3. So now they've started their own nonprofit organization within the company. So it's a great way to seed new nonprofit organizations in Hawaii. And... Um, to date, we go on our uh, website, and you'll see a host of companies that have already joined the program. What do they actually do with the funds once uh, they're returned and companies had a liquidity event? Well, what they what they do is it's not they can't bring those monies back onto their balance sheet. So a five hundred one c three is a nonprofit, uh, and what we did uh, and what I've done in all my previous organizations is form these five hundred one c threes. And put employees uh, within the company in charge, and that's then you begin the grant-making process of looking for ways to give back to the community. Um, that could be Habitat for Community. That can be for Housing for Abused Women, as I mentioned earlier. There's a whole host of good co- causes, and this is a way not only get employees involved in terms of volunteering, giving some of their time, but also making cash contributions that are so needed for, for those organizations. Can you give a real-life example of an entrepreneur foundation in another area, since this one is newer in Hawaii, where it's really created some great value for the community. Yeah. The, the founding uh, entrepreneurs, uh, EF, Entrepreneurs Foundation, is in Silicon Valley uh, with Gib Myers of Mayfield, and I had the good fortune of being one of the founding directors to the program. That's how I brought the program here, is basically modeling everything, or not everything, but a good part of it. And... Uh, they have over a hundred uh, portfolio companies that have participated in the program. They probably had ten liquidity events to date, worth several million dollars. And so half of those monies have gone back to the companies, and then the other has been used to fund the ongoing operations of EF Silicon Valley. So, what are you looking to do with the University of Hawaii in this Kipapa lecture series and some of the other 
initiatives you have going on? Uh, separate from EF Hawaii, yeah, I've been involved uh, with the University of Hawaii Business School in a, um, a program. It's called uh, the Kipapa Series. And uh, the goal there is to bring uh, speakers um, to Hawaii and for those speakers usually to focus on their successes. And that can be great entrepreneurs that have built great companies or businesses. How do they do it? And to open that to questions at the end. In addition, uh, we've had panels. So I've worked to bring in a panel that was a group of lawyers, but they were Silicon Valley lawyers of the different firms that had worked with the technology companies. So what's their perspective on the market and how to build great companies? We've done it uh, a tech panel, and the tech uh, these would be venture capitalists focused in technology and then sharing their experiences and opening it up. And then lastly would be in the life sciences area, and uh, venture capitalists, mostly Silicon Valley, bringing them here. Uh, we've had speakers such as Guy Kawasaki uh, from uh, Hawaii. So what do we have to look forward in the future? Uh, for Hawaii, in terms of entrepreneurship, I would uh, predict you've got um, some wonderful opportunities. It's The path is not going to become easy. I think it's been difficult to date and will continue for companies. Uh, the state has been, uh, I think, uh, supportive in terms of trying to recognize these opportunities. And I think going forward, we're going to need the continued support of the Chamber of Commerce, the university, uh, the government, in ensuring that there's the support organizations there to help build a community of startups that could be great contributors giving back to the state of Hawaii over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Thank you so much, John, for joining us today on Greater Good Radio Hawaii. For more information on today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii. This show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. to Sports Radio 1420 for another intriguing episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.